Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist TJ Malkanji. defeat the spirit of discouragement. How you can defeat the spirit of discouragement. Now, why did I call it a spirit of discouragement? Now, I'm not one of them preachers that calls everything a spirit, that this is a spirit, that's a spirit. You know, you you're, you're sweat too much, it's a marine spirit. You drink too much coffee, it's a caffeine spirit. You, you, you I don't know, you, you're having a, a hard time thinking through clarity and all that stuff. It's an octopus spirit. Everything's got a spirit uh, tied to it. Everything has a name to a spirit tied to any problem that a human being may experience. I am certainly not one of them preachers, and I can guarantee, you can go back on my broadcast, I have never been one to just label every single complication man feels or experiences with a spirit that you make up. This is a, a octopus spirit. Here's a marine spirit. Here's a you know whatever spirit that they 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 have such innovation in naming these spirits. It's it's really astonishing. I'm not like that. However, I will call a spirit out when we can identify it in Scripture so very clearly. And in Isaiah chapter 61, the Bible says, "The spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me." To preach good news to the poor. Hallelujah. So discouragement essentially is being poor in spirit. It's being poor in uh, your self-esteem or your, you know, being lavished or overwhelmed by insecurity. Discouragement has many roots and we're going to get into that today on this broadcast But the Bible announces good news to the poor. And that's why in the onset of this broadcast, you might be poor in spirit today. You might be downcast in your soul. You might be discouraged. You might have felt the greatest wave of discouragement you've ever felt in your entire life. And you've actually had thoughts of giving up, thoughts of throwing in the towel, thoughts of quitting prematurely. But I want to encourage you that this broadcast is going to give you good news today because the anointing and the gospel itself is good news to the poor. I want you to write that down in the comment section as your own confession. I expect good news today. I expect good news today. Yeah, the angels came to the shepherds in the field when Jesus was born and said, I bring you good news of good things. Good news of good things. See, when you take your eyes off the good news of good things that the Word of God makes available to you, that's essentially the gateway for discouragement to settle in. But we're gonna, this broadcast is literally going to realign you into focusing on the Bible, focusing on the Word of God, focusing on the promises of Scripture concerning your life so that, so that uh, you don't fall prey to a spirit of discouragement, which we're going to read about right now. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim release to the captives. Doesn't that feel like that sometimes? You feel like you're in a captivity? Discouragement can literally feel like a prison cell of the mind. And, you know, talking about the spirit of discouragement today, 
I want to make this clear to you that there's two types of discouragement. You can be discouraged because you lost a soccer game. You can be discouraged because you lost your FIFA game. You can be discouraged because, you know, you, you had a bad week of sales or whatever. There's that discouragement. There's a natural form of discouragement. But mark my words, there is a supernatural form of discouragement where it weighs in on you. It seems to come out of nowhere where sometimes there's not even a natural reason that you can connect to the discouragement. You just all of a sudden out of nowhere feel this weight and pressure of discouragement hard pressed on every side and you feel like you're being crushed. The Bible says the anointing one of the purposes of it is to proclaim liberty to the captives of discouragement. The opening of prison cells to those who are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. To console or comfort all those who mourn. To console those who mourn in Zion. To give them beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for mourning. Now listen to this. Isaiah 61 verse 3. The garment of praise for, for what? The spirit of heaviness. The garment of praise. The anointing will give you the oil of joy for mourning and the garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. So the Bible talks about this spirit of heaviness that weighs in on people. And I truly believe that part of the function of that spirit of heaviness, the purpose of it, sent by hell, is to ultimately destroy you, but the path to destruction, destruction is laid with the stones of discouragement. The path to that ultimate destruction that that spirit wants to bring you on is laid and paved with the stones of discouragement. It's a discouragement that weighs you down. Like I said before, there's natural discouragement, but there's supernatural discouragement. I believe there's people watching me on this broadcast right now that you know exactly what I'm talking about. Out of the blue, out of nowhere, something hit you in your spirit that you're actually normally a very happy person, normally a very joyous individual. Normally, you're a very... Uh, encouraging person normally you're a very positive thinking person an optimist so to say and yet something hit you like a wave just swept in to weigh in on you all these discouraging thoughts and this sense of utter hopelessness has gripped your soul so that you feel like there's no way out. You feel like you've been gridlocked, that you've stagnated, that you feel like you're, you're in what we read before, a prison cell, and you're locked in without any idea as to how you're going to get out, or worse yet, whether you'll ever get out. Let me remind you of the words of Paul, because I'm, I'm first and foremost going to explain to you as we get into defeating the spirit of discouragement today. I want to explain to you what discouragement does. What the enemy uses discouragement to do to an individual. Because you might just think, ah, I'm just down. I'm just down. I'm just having an off week. I'm having a, an off month. But it's not just an off week or an off month. If you don't uproot the seed of discouragement... At the onset, it's going to grow in to a strong tree that, yes, can be cut down, but it's much better to cut it down 
at the first sight of it, then let it grow up into this mega monster where now it's no longer discouragement. It comes into a form of depression. That's where you see psychological community calling it major depression, manic depression, where there's this prolonged years, years and years of utter hopelessness. You know, depression is essentially characterized by utter hopelessness. Depression is characterized by feelings of despair, despondency that don't seem to go away, that may leave for a day or two, but then they come back like waves billowing on a seashore, wave after wave. There's a little momentary brief relief from it all, but then be sure another wave is coming. And unfortunately, unfortunately, some people, and even some of you that are watching me right now, that may be what your life is like. You have moments of relief. You have moments of, you feel like that spirit's not strangling you anymore, but then like clockwork, another wave just comes in and hits you. I'm telling you, mark my words, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, by the time this broadcast is over and we say amen, that foul spirit of heaviness is going to lose its grip off your life and everlasting joy, gladness, and peace that surpasses all understanding is going to overwhelmingly invade your life today and you will never be the same again. Again, the Bible says, if you listen to me, God said, I will provide you with peace like a river, like a river. Jesus himself said, come to me, all that are thirsty, all you that are thirsty and out of your belly, I'm going to cause a river, rivers of living water to burst forth out of your belly. Today, in the name of Jesus Christ, you're going to experience just that. The last form of manic depression, the last form of of defeat caused by a spirit of discouragement. The last time you were ever harassed and bullied by that demon spirit of discouragement will be the last time it ever happens from today. Not only are you going to be encouraged, you're going to carry, you're going to carry in on the inside of you Holy Ghost power to be a Holy Ghost encourager to all those that are around you. In the name of Jesus Christ. Not only are you breaking free from discouragement, but the anointing to break others free from that same discouragement is going to come on you. You're going to have infectious joy, infectious, contagious encouragement is going to radiate from you today in Jesus' name. Remember Mark, uh, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, we are to be the light of this world and let our light so shine, meaning let your light radiate from you so that others can benefit from the light that's radiating from you. Your life will be such in Jesus name listen to Paul Galatians chapter 6 this is uh, uh, what essentially the devil's going to use discouragement to to uh to do to you use discouragement to do to you to accomplish in your life do not be deceived God is not mocked whatever a man sows he'll reap for he who sows to the flesh will reap from the flesh corruption. He who sows to the spirit will reap from the spirit everlasting life. Verse 9. Let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. Discouragement. The enemy uses the, the spirit of discouragement to cause people to give up prematurely, so that they never arrive at the breakthrough. They never arrive at the moment 
of supernatural turnaround that God has prepared for you. Because I want to remind you, God already spoke through Paul's letter in Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good to those that love him and are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. The devil uses discouragement to get people to think that nothing will ever be good. That nothing will ever turn good. That this is how life has been and how life will always continue to be. That we are in an everlasting cycle of frustration and stagnation. But the Bible itself says, if you love God and you're called by him, God is going to make even your mistakes, even your seemingly uh, worst failures, even the things that you regret, God can actually use those things and bring good from it. Even things that you made decisions that you were unsure at the time. You thought maybe the Lord was telling you to do it or not. And you made a decision to act on buying property, a business deal, doing whatever God, you felt the Lord was leading you to do, but you were wrong. And now you feel discouraged that you missed it. Now I'm out of the will of God. I'm never going to get back into the will of God. I missed it. I slipped up. Man, that's it. I guess I got to say sayonara to what God's called me to do. I might as well just go out and do something else because I've never... I, I've never been out of the will of God. Now that I am, I'm never going to get back into the will of God. It's doomsday from here on out. I could only live in a permissive will, as some people love to call it, and just do the best with what I've got. The devil uses that to get people to stop short from arriving at their harvest, from arriving at what God's ultimately called them to do. The Bible says, you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. Discouragement is designed to get people to give up. Discouragement is designed to get people to give up. Discouragement will weigh people down so that they don't even want to work anymore towards fulfilling the call of God. Let me read this. Habakkuk. Habakkuk. If I'm helping you today, you do me a great... Uh, service if you like this video and share this with people that you know need to be encouraged today I think everyone knows somebody that needs encouragement and this broadcast is really going to help people I really I firmly believe that Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse number 2 then the Lord answered me and said write the vision the vision of God for your life write it down make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak, it will not lie. Though it tarries, though there's a wait, though there's a period of waiting between the moment you receive the vision to the moment of its fulfillment, and that period of waiting is not sitting on your blessed assurance, waiting for God to bring it to pass. It's doing everything you know to do to serve your purpose on the earth so that you can come to the fulfillment of the vision. A lot of people say, wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord, as if God's just asking us to cross our arms and just, you know, believe God's going to make it happen whether we do anything or not. His sovereign will will accomplish what he needs to get done. No, waiting on the Lord means to like, as a waitress or waiter at a restaurant waits on you at your table, we are to wait on God 
as we're as we're working towards the fulfillment of what he's called, called us to do. We're waiting on God. We did a, I did a broadcast on last, uh, last Thursday with, or last Friday rather, with my friend Pastor Ryan Eusta at the River of Tampa Bay Church, and we talked about how to know the will of God. And one of the things that you can do in the period between uh, getting saved and discovering the specific will of God is finding out what the general will of God is and doing that. There are things in the Bible. Now, the Bible's not going to tell you what school you should go to, what husband you should marry, what wife you should marry. It's not going to tell you. It'll tell you the criteria for those things, but it won't tell you exactly. You must go to North Point Bible College in Haverhill, Massachusetts. It's not going to tell you the exact date, place, time, and location as to where you're to be at every single moment of the day. It'll give you criteria as to who you are to marry, criteria as to um, what, what type of person to look for in a friend, in business relations. Proverbs talks about business relations and what to look out for and what to reject and what to accept and all those things. But at the same time, it doesn't give you specifics on anything. So, the, But the Bible does give specifics on what God's general will is for anyone that calls themselves a Christian. And one of the things is being a soul winner. We are all ambassadors for God. We're all called to win souls, whether you call yourself a pastor, evangelist, pa prophet, pa apostle, or teacher, or whether you're just a good disciple of Jesus Christ who has a secular job, a secular business, but you are a Christian. You follow Jesus and you are a disciple of his teachings regardless of what you are in the body, a hand, a foot, a mouth, a toe, it doesn't matter. We are all called to be ambassadors for Christ, reconciling people to God. That's the general will. And so in fulfilling God's general will, God sees a person now that he can entrust with the specific will. And when you receive the specific will, Habakkuk tells us plainly that we should actually not just try and store it up in our minds and hope we remember it. Whenever you receive a vision from God, whenever, and this is important, tying it into what the devil's trying to discourage you from walking in. This is all going to tie back into how to defeat the spirit of discouragement. It's important to know why the devil is discouraging you. The devil is discouraging you because there is a great vision that God has for your life. There is a great plan that God has molded specific to you. And you know what I know the good news? The devil actually can't stop you from walking out God's plan for your life. The devil is impotent, useless, futile in successfully designing a weapon that can knock you out. But you know what he can do? He can get you to think thoughts of penury, insecurity, inadequacy, to get you to hang your hands down, throw in the towel, and give up. And when that happens, the devil wins a great victory. It's not that he actually came out and tied your hands and made things so that you couldn't do everything God's called you to do, but he tries to get people to quit. But if you don't quit, the devil will quit. If you don't give up, the devil will give up because the devil, if you study scripture from Genesis to Revelation, is a royal quitter. He's a royal quitter. He tries to get people to lose heart so they stop because he knows that he can't actually stop you 
from doing everything God's called you to do. That's why it's important to write the vision down. Make it plain on tablets so that when you run or when you read it, you'll have power to run with it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. At the end, it will speak. It will not tarry. Though it, it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it because it will surely come to pass. I want to encourage you today. Whatever God has planned for you, whatever vision you've had in your heart, whatever thing you feel impressed in your spirit to do that the, you know God's telling me to do this, a business idea, a ministry that God's telling you to start, uh, go into the ministry, go to Bible college, whatever it is. And you're worried about finances. How am I going to have that happen? You're worried about networking with the right people. And you're worried about, uh, you know, how am I going to actually bring all of this to pass? It's too large of a vision. It's too big. It's too great. I want to encourage you today that as long as you do your part and take up your responsibility in not being a lazy Christian, but actually running with the vision. Run, not just talking about the vision. Yes, we talk about the vision, but actually running with the vision. What do I mean by that? God's called me to be an evangelist, but I'm not waiting. I'm not waiting for, uh, you know, I wasn't waiting for doors to open before I started to preach. I started to do Facebook Lives, YouTube Lives. I started to do, I used the platforms that were afforded me so that I can, I can show God, I'm taking your call seriously. I'm running. I may not have everything at my availability right now to do or walk in the fullness of what you've called me to do, but I do have resources, certain resources to allow me to walk in a measure of what you've called me to do. And just like Jesus said, if you're faithful in the little, I, the Lord, will do what? I'll promote you. Your promotion is directly tied to your obedience to what God has already told you to do. People want to circumvent the task of obeying Sometimes the menial task that God gives us to do. Well, what if I go online? I'm going to have two people watching. What is that going to do? Who cares? I have a friend in the ministry. He did a crusade in the month of August. He told me it wasn't everything that he wanted. Uh, he had seen in his spirit. He wanted bigger. He wanted better. He wanted greater numbers, greater results and all that. And those are all great things to carry in your spirit. You should want. You should desire mega increase. You should desire. You should make plans to take a city. Of course, those are all good things. But I encouraged him at that moment because I said, listen, success is not necessarily seeing the finality of the vision today. Success is taking a step towards the finality of the vision of God for your life. Success, for example, as a runner, yes, you can say running a marathon, which is like 31 miles or whatever it is, 34 miles. I, don't, I have no idea what it is. I have no plans to ever run a marathon, to be honest with you. But um, running a marathon would be the emblem of success for a runner. That man's a successful runner. But you know what I equally see as success? It's not just that he completed the marathon. It's that first day he got off his butt with Cheeto dip running down his face and he started to run and he ran only about three minutes before he felt like he was going into cardiac arrest. 
And he went from the couch to 5K, and then from 5K to 10K to 20K to 30K, and he did that. That's success. Some people are waiting to be encouraged when they finally see the 500,000 people coming out to their crusade, when they finally see the, the business taking in the desired amount of money every single month. That's when they feel like, then I'll be encouraged. No, you have to be encouraged today that you're taking the maybe small, insignificant steps that nobody else is watching. Nobody else sees it. Nobody else even recognizes or knows who you are. That's part of the, 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 the challenge of it all is that you have this, this Abrahamic vision in your heart that I know what God's called me to do is going to make me a blessing to my generation. But nobody even knows who you are. And it is ultimately, at the end of the day, it doesn't even matter if people know who you are. I don't want popularity. I don't want fame. I want influence. And sometimes the challenge is, is when you know that God's going to give you a place of influence in your nation, but you're in a place where nobody even cares about you. You're still so some discarded thing on the side of the road that nobody cares about your opinions. That's where the challenge is. But you have to realize it's in that moment. I'm going to do, I'm going to take, I'm going to do the small things that are going to lead to the big breakthrough. People love to look at the overnight success, but there's no overnight success. You want to know what overnight success comes by? It comes by people, disciplined people that take daily steps Daily steps that nobody sees, constantly sowing seed, watering that seed that nobody sees until finally there's a breakthrough and then there's that explosion. But it all starts with that. And then that further, going further back, starts with writing the vision down. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak. And as I was saying before, discouragement is designed to weigh you down so you don't, you don't do that work. To weigh you down. What, what does it even matter? What does it even matter? Why even care? Why even do that? Why even go live? Why even? You know, I have a vision for this broadcast to, within a couple of years, hit 1,000 live viewers at a time. That We're, we're hitting 1,000 live viewers. I have a vision for our crusades to pack out stadiums in Canada. Stadiums. And, and uh, outdoor parks lined up with 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 people coming to hear the gospel, getting saved. I, that's my vision. I, I've shared that before on this broadcast. But could you imagine when I did Hope Fest the first time and 86 people got saved over three nights? Which is amazing for your first crusade. But 86 people get saved over three nights. Could you imagine if that happened and I just said, you know what? I was believing for... 25,000 people to show up and at least 10,000 decisions for Christ. And I just saw 86. You know what? What's the point? Why even do another thing for this? Why even? Why even? That question, why even? It's like what the psalmist said in Psalm 42. Why so downcast? Oh, my soul. You get downcast. You get, you get discouraged by it. And the devil uses that to weigh you down so that you don't continue to do well and so Good seeds. Remember what we read, Galatians 6, 9. Don't grow weary in well-doing. The devil uses discouragement to make you grow weary so you don't do well. You don't do well. In the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles 32, the Bible says Sennacherib came up against Judah and Hezekiah. 
And the scripture says that uh, Sennacherib sent a threat against Hezekiah and the, the people of Judah, saying that he was going to wipe out the Jewish people from the face of the earth. You know what the response was? Or sorry, you know what the temptation was? The Bible says, let me read it actually. I was just reading this before. 2 Chronicles 32. The Bible says that when he, Sennacherib came and his purpose was to make war against Jerusalem, that he sent out threats towards the people of Jerusalem, but Hezekiah strengthened himself and built up the wall that was broken down. See, if he had fallen prey to the discouragement, he wouldn't have had strength to build up the wall. He wouldn't have had strength to reinforce the wall for protection. The devil doesn't want you to build towards where God's calling you to be. What else does discouragement do? It stalls you. I've seen people discouraged and they stall. Their whole life stalls at that moment of discouragement. They don't even buy new clothes. They don't buy new things anymore. There, there's just this despondency. They're sinking low. It creates a hopelessness, which in turn generates depression, anxiety. Discouragement in the heart of man causes depression. And a hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred. What's hope? It's expectation for what you, you know in your spirit you're going to do. But when it's deferred, when it's delayed, it causes depression and it makes the heart sick. The discouragement disrupts innovation. You look at people that are discouraged. You can't come up with new ideas if you're discouraged. It's hard to be creative when you're discouraged. It's hard to be innovative when you're discouraged. It's hard for the wisdom of God to flow through a person who is discouraged. It like blocks off your mental capacity to think new things. So how do you overcome the spirit of discouragement? Number one, remember where God has called you to go. If you want to overcome the spirit of discouragement today, you have to quit being someone who has spiritual Alzheimer's, spiritual amnesia, forgetting what God's put in your spirit as to where he's leading you to. God never calls a person to fail. God never calls a person to defeat. God never calls a person to struggle. God never calls a person to a low level in life. Consider your father Abraham. When I called him, he was one. But after I was through blessing him, how great, how greatly he increased. You look at the calling of God on Abraham's life in Genesis 12. Come out of your father's house. Come out of your relatives. And I'm going to show you how hard life can be. No, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make you a blessing in your generation. And anyone that curses you, I'm going to curse. And anyone that blesses you, I'm going to bless. God doesn't call you to fail. So if you're in a place of failure right now or seemingly defeated right now, know that that's not God's place for you to remain. Remember where God's calling you to. 
Don't look to where you are now. Look to where you're going. Don't focus on the setback. Focus on where the Lord's setting you up to go. Acts chapter 27. The Bible says they had gotten into a, 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 a tempestuous storm, headwind called Euryclidon. Paul is on a boat with 200 and something other passengers and they're going towards Rome. And the Bible says a storm literally shipwrecked the boat. And the Bible says in verse 20, Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small storm beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. They gave up. All hope gone out the door. They were ready to die. Man, I want to prophesy to some of you today. Some of you have made plans to settle. Some of you have made plans to just die. Some of you have made plans to just cope with where you're at right now. And you've, you've, you've made plans to accept this as your present and future reality. Today, God's going to disrupt those plans in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Today, by the power of the Holy Spirit, New life is going to be infused into your spirit to pick up the boxing mitts of life, strap the mouth guard back into your mouth, get back into the ring, and fight the good fight of faith and lay hold of everything God's called you to have. All hope that we would be saved was finally given up. But after long abstinence from food, that wasn't a fast. That was them just not having an appetite. It's another thing discouragement does. You don't want to eat. Things that you used to have a pleasure in doing. You have no pleasure in doing that anymore. Things you used to enjoy doing. There's no joy in it anymore. It just, it, it strips you of the zest of life. It strips you of the, the joy of life. It's not they were fasting. They, they didn't have a desire to eat. Men, you should have listened to me, Paul said, and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. You know, that's another thing. Some people get discouraged and... To the point of like, even God has abandoned me. Because they were warned not to do something. They did it anyways. And now they feel that, you know, God's totally just forsaken you. That God's kicked you to the curb. All right, you didn't want to learn. You didn't want to listen. And screw you. That is if God's like a, 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 a human being, like your old boss at your old job that had no patience, no mercy. If you came in late, the three strikes were out. That was it. God is merciful and compassionate. Now, we don't abuse that. We don't insult the spirit of grace by continuing to be disobedient and stupid. The Bible says he who hates instruction is stupid. So we don't continue to do that and in, in such doing insult the spirit of grace. However, remember, God is slow to anger. But he abounds in steadfast love and compassion. These people on this boat were in that predicament not because they, they had obeyed God. They were in that predicament because they disobeyed God. Paul had already by the wisdom of God told them don't set sail because there's going, I perceive, it was a word of wisdom. I perceive there's going to be loss of life and maybe of the ship. They did it anyways. And you have preachers that even tell uh, Christians, you know, when you get yourself in the mess, don't expect God to always bail you out. That's not Bible. 
Because if that were the case, we'd all be doomed. We'd all got ourselves in a mess. We all fell short of the glory of God. We all together became corrupt. We all fell astray. We all sinned and fell short of the glory of God. If, it was, if that was the law God used, that you got yourself in it, get yourself out, we'd all be screwed and on our way to hell. We got ourselves in the mess, now God will get us out. You may have got yourself into a mess. Maybe you ignored divine instruction, divine warning, but you did it anyways. I want to encourage you today. If you repent, the Bible says your sin will be blotted out and God will provide you with times of refreshing, times of restoration. Though the years have been wasted through the locusts coming in and chewing it all up, God will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. God will set you back on the path today. And even if you felt like you wasted years and years, God can speed things up and accelerate your plan or his plan for you so that you come back into divine pace, come back right into divine, into divine footstep. So you don't miss a step. It won't be you having a, you screwed up for two years, now it's going to take two years to restore you. No, God can take two days. God can take two minutes. God can take this one-hour broadcast to restore you and bring you back into divine alignment so that you're, you're right exactly where God would have you. Man, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And then Paul goes on to berate them and says, you're all dumb. I told you not to do it. You did it. Now incur the wrath of God. You know, where's my uh, funny little monster? Now incur the wrath of God. He could have easily have done that. He didn't do that because that's not the heart of God. What did he do? Paul gets up and says, now... Yeah, forget those things which are behind. Forget. Forget. You, yeah, you didn't listen to me. I'm not here to beat you over the head now. And told you so. No, he said, now I urge you to take heart. Now I urge you, be encouraged. Hallelujah. I urge you, turn that frown upside down. How am I supposed to be encouraged when nothing's changed in my life right away? You're telling me all these things, but like nothing's changed right now. Nothing looks different. Everything looks the same on the outside. Paul was on the same ship in the same storm, seeing the same things, and yet he turns his confession and says, be happy, guys. Be of good cheer. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve. And he said to me, don't be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And God has indeed granted all those who sail with you. So therefore, be encouraged, men. I believe, God, that it will be just as it was told me. Hallelujah. What was God's word to Paul when he got saved? You must stand before kings. And in Acts chapter 24, I believe it is, Paul, uh, or Acts 23, he appeals to Caesar. And Felix, the governor, says, to Caesar you've appealed, to Caesar you must go. And then in Acts 20, 24, 25, Jesus comes and appears to him and says, you must stand before Caesar. 
Jesus had told them, you're going to stand before Caesar. You're going to Rome, baby. No matter what the devil wants to do, you're going to Rome. And so when he was in this storm, you know what prevented or guarded Paul's heart from ever be, being discouraged? He kept his eyes on the reality that he had to be brought. Paul, you must be brought before Caesar. Some of you have experienced a setback and you feel like this is, you know, this is the end. I really screwed the pooch this time. There's no way out of this. But I want to remind you to remind yourself where, write it down today when you have time. Write it on your phone. Take a notepad out. Write it by pen and paper. What is the vision God gave you? What is the mind of God concerning your life? Where did God say he was going to take you? Are you there now? No. So why are you discouraged? If you're not there, then there's no reason to be discouraged where you are now because you know you're not going to stay there. You must appear before Caesar. I want you to write that in the comment section. I will stand. As a matter of fact, forget that. Because I will stand before Caesar. I know it makes no sense to people that are, you know, just tuning into the broadcast now, but I want you to make that. I will stand before Caesar. As a confession of faith, Paul's ultimate fulfillment of the vision of God for his life was to stand before Caesar. So standing before Caesar represents you standing in the perfect will of God one day. In, in the fulfillment of the perfect will of God one day. I will stand before Caesar. I'm not camping here. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For his rod and his staff, they do guide me and lead me out of the valley of the shadow of death. You can walk through a valley but of shadow of death, but you don't camp in the valley of the shadow of death. He leads you past the valley of the shadow of death. And that's what discouragement is. When that spirit of discouragement settles in, it feels like you're in a valley full of death. And I'm not talking about physical death or decay. I'm talking about just that feeling of utter despair. Like I quoted before, why so downcast, oh my soul? David was so in tune with God that he always carried an encouraging an encouragement in his spirit. He always carried strength in his spirit. And then one day... Something comes on him, so foreign to him, he has to look at himself in the mirror and talk to himself. Why, Saul, why are you so discouraged? And then he, he learned to do what I'm going to teach you to do today. When he felt the discouragement, he said, hope in God. Hope in God. What is hope? Hope is your expectation of what God can do and will do for your life. So David gave us a secret there. You feel discouraged. You feel downcast. You feel despondent. What's the solution? Hope in God. Talk about where he's bringing you. Talk about where he's leading you. He leads me by still waters. And one day, I'm going to stand before Caesar. I'm going to do what God's called me to do. And I'm going to be everything God's called me to be. 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul Gives us extra keys on how to battle discouragement. Verse 16, therefore we do not lose heart. Lose heart. Some translation says we don't get discouraged. We don't get discouraged. Why? How? Paul, tell me. How do we not get discouraged? Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, 
which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we don't look at the things which are seen, some of you are discouraged because the doctor's report is not good. Some of you are discouraged because your accountant said you're going bankrupt. Some of you are discouraged because even your own marriage counselor said you guys are hopeless. I'm through counseling you guys. Some of you are discouraged because of what you're seeing in the natural. It is is sure to make anyone discouraged. But Paul says, we don't look, people of faith, faith does not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not yet seen. For the things which are seen are temporary. Hallelujah. But the things which are not seen are eternal. Get your eyes off of the nasty now and now. Do what you know to do. Don't be, like Paul said, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. The temptation when you feel discouraged is to stop doing what God's told you to do. Stop abounding in the work of the Lord. But Paul said, even in that time, don't look on the things which are seen. Look on the things which are not seen. Look to where God's leading you to. Remember where God's called you to go and be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your work done in the Lord shall never be in vain. For he that sows to the Spirit shall reap a harvest of life. Number one, how to destroy the spirit of discouragement. Remember where God's called you to go. Number two, remember where God has brought you out of. What God's brought you out of. Some people are so quick to remember everything the devil's done to them, but never quick to remember what God's done for them. The Bible says in the book of Psalms, Psalms, Psalm 77, Psalm 77 and verse 10. And I said, this is Asaph, a psalm of Asaph. And I said, this is my anguish. This is my infirmity. This is my problem. This is my struggle. This is why I'm discouraged. And I said, this is my anguish. But I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate, think on, dwell on, ponder all your work, and I will talk of all your deeds. See, what throws people into like this long season of constant discouragement is because when the discouragement comes in they talk discouraged they talk discouraged they voice they vent their feelings you know the bible says a fool vents all his feelings it's easy the flesh loves to talk discouragement to talk struggle to talk the problem but the bible says that in the midst of anguish the way you navigate yourself out of the storm of discouragement is by talking God's works, talking God's word and talking his deeds, what he's done. 
I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High God. This was the source of David's encouragement. You don't think when he saw Goliath that he didn't have discouragement try to come in? Furthermore, when he stood before his brothers, his brothers tried to discourage him. And then when he stood before Saul, Saul himself said, you're a youth. You're going to get your head chopped off, kid. He tried to discourage him. But what did David do to guard his heart? Guard your heart, Proverbs 4. Guard your heart. Out of it flows the issues of life. Discouragement comes to everyone. Great men of God, people that you don't consider great men of God or women of God, everyone has opportunity to be discouraged. But you know what David did and what made him great and caused him to not be wearied down so that he didn't follow through what God called him to do, but to strengthen himself to the point where he had a holy confidence and boldness that when Goliath stood before him, David didn't tippy-toe towards him. David ran head on to meet Goliath and take his head off. You know what strengthened him? When Saul said, you're a little boy, and man, that guy's going to take your head off. David replied, Saul, the same God who delivered me from the paw of the bear. Whenever there was a sheep that was taken in the mouth of a lion, I chased down that lion and I ripped its mouth open, taking the sheep out of its mouth. And the same God, the same God, hallelujah. I want you to write that in the comment section. The same God is with me. The same God is with me. The same God, the same God that delivered me from the paw of the bear is the same God that delivered me from the paw of the lion. And he will, he will. You see, David meditation, David's reminiscing on God's faithfulness in past battles gave him the strength to fight off discouragement today and as such build up his courage where he had the power to tackle his present day issues, present day battle, and secure for himself present day victory. David reminding himself of what God has done in the past, his past faithfulness to always bail him out when an enemy came against him, gave him the power and confidence to rise up and tackle the present day issue and secure for him present day victory. This is my anguish, but I will remember. You know what he said? I will. He didn't say I'll feel when I feel like it all, but now I feel like venting. Some people are sensual. What do I mean by that? They're led by their senses. The New Testament calls it psychikos. It literally means to be bestial. It means to be like an animal. An animal is led by its senses. An animal pees when it feels like peeing. It doesn't wait to get to a bathroom. An animal barks when it feels like barking. An animal has no control over its beastly instincts. You're not an animal. You are born again in the image of Jesus Christ, conformed to his image. You are a royal priest as a chosen generation. And when discouragement comes in, you got to recognize it at the root and learn to rise up against it. And use your willpower to remember, yeah, I feel like bashing everything right now. Yeah, I feel like just giving up. Yeah, I feel like 
turning my back on everything and just going, yeah, I feel like that, but I'm not like an animal. I will remember God's past deeds of faithfulness. I will remember that it was God's arm that redeemed me. I'm going to remember how Jesus hung on that tree at Calvary and took upon himself the sins of humanity and all that he's done. If he was faithful to bring Christ to that cross to die and rise again, then he's going to be faithful that he that began a good work in me to bring every single thing to pass in Jesus' mighty name. Number one, how to defeat the spirit of discouragement. Remember where God's called you to go. Number two, remember where God has brought you out of. Number three, remember God's word to you now. Remember God's word to you now. What are you discouraged about? What are you discouraged about? Is it a, a bad report from the doctor? It's a valid thing to be discouraged about. But like we said before, we don't look on the things which are seen. We look on the things which are not seen. And a lot of these promises that we read about here may not be evident in your life right now. But notice how Paul didn't say we look on those things which don't exist. He said we look on those things which are not seen. It means these things exist. Healing exists. Prosperity exists. Whatever you are fighting in discouragement right now, the solution, the biblical rem remedy of it exists. The Bible says faith. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence, evidence of things that we don't yet see. Evidence, the title deed. We might not see it right now. You don't see the turnaround. Hannah, when she pled before the Lord and was pouring out her soul in anguish, she was believing God for a child. And Eli said, by this time next year, you will hold your own Samuel. And the Bible says, what did she do at that very moment? Was she pregnant? She didn't even have relations with her husband yet. She, she just got up, wiped away her tears and went back to eating. She had not eaten for many days because she, was, she had lost her appetite because discouragement had settled in. But when the prophet came and said, God has heard your prayer, and this time next year, she had the word of the Lord, this time next year, you're going to have a child. Nothing changed. Like I said before, she hadn't even had intercourse with her husband yet. So it was impossible. It wasn't possible for her to even be encouraged based on the fact that she felt pregnant. She didn't feel different. She didn't look different. Nothing was different. But what happened? She wiped away her tears and she got up and ate and she was no more discouraged. She was no more discouraged. So what the Bible promises you, a lot of people have Thomas faith. Well, I know what the Bible says and I'll be encouraged when I see God do it. You'll never have it. Thomas, you believe because you see. Blessed are those who believe whom though they've never seen. They've never seen. So... It's not that these promises don't exist. It's that they're just not yet seen. But we look not on the things which are seen. We look on the things which are not yet seen, which shall be seen as we believe to the end, to the fulfillment of it. So point number three, when you're discouraged, how to defeat the spirit of discouragement is to remember God's word to you now concerning that particular situation that you're discouraged in. Are you discouraged because there's no open doors? You feel like every door's been shut. There's no opportunity. And that business will collapse now. That ministry's not going to do too good. I'm going to have to go back to whatever I did before. Are you discouraged because of that? Then find out, what does the Bible say? What did God promise people about open doors? Well, 
I'll give you one scripture. First Corinthians chapter 16 verse 9 says that God will open great and effective doors of opportunity for you. And a great and effectual door has been opened unto me. The Bible talks about in Isaiah 45, I found my anointed Cyrus, whose right hand I have upheld, and I will open before him the double doors, and the gate shall never be shut. God promised to give you double doors, double doors, more doors than there are days in the year. So there's scriptures that are pertinent to the very thing that you're discouraged about right now. Find out what they are. Jeremiah 15, 16. Your word was found, and I ate them. So it's not just a quick glance over. Oh yeah, I know what the Bible says. I don't have to read it anymore because I've pretty much memorized the stories of the New Testament. The Bible doesn't say that's the posture or the approach you should have towards the Word of God. The Bible says the approach you should have in studying the Word of God should be likened unto a starving man eating food. Your words were found and I devoured them. I ate them and your word became to me, hallelujah, the joy and rejoicing of my heart. The word became to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. So when you feel discouraged about a given situation, you find out what God has to say about that situation. And when you read it and eat it, what does it mean to eat? Meditate on it. Get it. Let it sink deep down into your heart. Let the words of Christ dwell richly within your heart. Focus on it. Meditate on it. Take that portion of scripture and read it and reread it and reread it all throughout the day. Confess it out of your mouth. Speak it. Write it down. Do everything you can to have it ingrained in your spirit. When you do that, God said, my joy, the heavenly joy and rejoicing will come alive in your heart. Your words became to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. The word of God carries within itself the joy of God. Hallelujah. The word of God carries the joy of God. So when you sow the word in your heart, guess what? You reap a harvest of joy, inexpressible and full of glory out of your heart. In John 16, Jesus himself said, these things I have spoken to you so that you can have my joy made full in you. Hallelujah. Not just a measure of joy, a fullness of joy. What does the Bible say in Psalm 16 verse 11? You show me the paths of life. In your presence is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore, your right hand. God wants to give you fullness of joy to counteract that discouragement that's tried to settle in your heart. Listen to what the Bible says in Psalm 31, the book of Psalm, and the 31st Psalm. The Bible says, Psalm 31, where are we? Psalm 30, my bad. Psalm 30, verse 5. For his anger is but for a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. You know, we always talk about how faith comes. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But do you know, how the, do you know that the Bible also says joy comes in the morning? Well, what's the morning signify? What is so spectacular about the morning? What is the psalmist trying to explain to its, his reader? The morning is the breaking of dawn. The morning is where the light comes. That's when the sun rises. And the word of God says his word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. Hallelujah. So when the scripture says joy comes in the morning, 
The psalmist is indirectly saying that joy comes when the light of God's word dawns on your heart. Hallelujah. Joy comes when the light of the word of God dawns on your heart. The Bible says the entrance of his word bringeth light. It brings light and gives understanding to the simple. Weeping endures for the night, but joy comes. How does joy come? Because if joy is coming and going, but I'm missing it, then obviously it's not that God's not provided joy. It's that I've not positioned myself in a way where I can be in the way of joy coming my way. Joy comes in the morning when the word of God dawns in your heart. It breathes, it generates joy. Bible says in book of Mark, Mark chapter 5, that Jairus had asked Jesus to come and lay his hands on his daughter who was sick and dying. And Jesus said, I will come on his way there. He got distracted with the woman with the issue of blood. He healed her. Then he moves towards the house of Jairus. And the scripture says, men came from the leader of the synagogue's house and said, don't trouble the teacher any longer. Your daughter's dead. Your daughter's dead. It's hard to have joy when your situation goes from bad to worse. But that's exactly, see, the devil had it his way. The moment the situation goes from bad to worse, that's when he would have you just sit down and weep until you have no more power to weep. But what did Jesus do when he heard the word of the people from the leader of the synagogue's house? They came and said, don't trouble him any longer. Your daughter is dead. Your case is closed. Your situation, irreversible. Your problem, too far gone. Your life, too hard. There's no way out of this. Your issue, hopeless. What did Jesus reply? Mark chapter 5, let me read it for you. Straight from the Bible. There was ever a person in scripture whose situation went from bad to worse and who had reason to get extremely discouraged and say, you know what, God? I've got it from here. You know what, Jesus? I've got it from here. You know, I came to ask you to heal my daughter and you couldn't even keep her alive. So you know what? Just go back to Capernaum or wherever the heck you're from and I've got it from here. I'm going to go bury her. You've caused enough trouble. Because you gave me hope and by coming and now here, my hope is vanished. My hope is snuffed out. But you know what the Bible says in the book of Matthew? And it's actually a quotation from Isaiah. A bruised weed, a bruised reed, God will not break. And a smoldering wick, a candlestick that looks like it's fading out and going out, he will not snuff out. And essentially, that's what Jesus did to Jairus. His smoldering wick that seemingly was going to snuff out, Jesus ignites a fresh flame on his heart. And this is what he says, Mark chapter 5. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, don't be afraid. Only believe. Only believe. Don't be afraid. Only believe. Discouragement is geared towards weighing you down with the fear of failure, fear of being wiped out, fear of things never turning for your good, fear 
of every horrible scenario that could possibly be played out. But Jesus cast down that thought of fear and brought him back into faith. Because, you know, this point is remember his word to you now. It's good to remember it. But he didn't say, don't be afraid. Remember what I said. He said, don't be afraid. Only believe. It's not enough just to remember a Bible scripture. You have to believe. Only believe. Believe it. What does it mean to believe the word of God? It means to hold it in high esteem where it has authority in your life. Number one authority, prime authority over all things in your life. Believe, to believe God means to hold his word in a high place of reverence where it alone determines your mood, determines your thoughts, determines your point of action or your steps of action that you'll take from here on out. Believe. To believe literally means to hold God's word in high esteem where you give it, you give to it, not lend to it, but you give to it the supreme level of authority over all things governing your life. I'm not just remembering the word. I'm not just remembering a Bible scripture that I learned in children's church. I'm not just writing it down on my mat, my welcome mat, or put it on a little plaque that I hang up in my bathroom wall. I'm believing that word for me. I'm believing that word for me. Why can I believe the word of God for me? Because God's not a liar. God's not a liar. He wouldn't tell you he'd do something. And then when you actually choose to believe him, he says, oh, not for you. No, if God put it in this Bible, the Bible says all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Only believe. Don't be afraid. Only believe. Jesus essentially gave us the remedy to fear in that one snippet of scripture. You're afraid? Only believe. Remember when Peter was walking on water? He walked a few steps, but then he took his eyes off what? The word. Jesus is the word made flesh. He took his eyes off the word and he began to look at the wind boisterous. And when he looked on the winds, he began to sink. He got weighed down by discouragement. But as long as he kept his eyes on the word and his faith in God's word, he was kept above the waters that otherwise would have drowned him and wiped him out. And I prophesy in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, as you realign your focus to the word of God today, God's going to put a holy fire in your heart that's going to gravitate you towards the word of God. A new love for the scriptures is going to come alive in your heart by the grace of God right now. And as you begin to study this book of the law and be careful to meditate on it day and night, I tell you, whatever waters were designed to swallow you up, God is going to hold you up above the waters. When you go through the fire, it shall not burn you. The Bible says all your ways will be successful and all your ways will prosper. If you'll successfully meditate on the word of God and not let this book of the law depart from your mouth in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, you will not be afraid of your enemy. You will not be afraid of the adversary. Perfect faith is being born in your heart today in Jesus mighty name to rise up be strong be courageous knowing that the Lord is on your side and is going to make a way where there is no way in Jesus mighty name number four finally number four 
how to defeat the spirit of discouragement, heed the command to be strong and courageous. Joshua chapter 1. Verse 5, no man will stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will never leave you, and I'll never forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. One, for this people you will divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give you. Only be strong and very courageous. Two, that you may prosper wherever you go. Verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall be meditating it day and night, and you will observe to do all that is written therein, for then you will be prosperous and you will have good success. Verse 9, have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you everywhere you go. Hallelujah. Heed the command to be strong and courageous. What do I mean by that? Notice how God didn't say, when you feel strong and when you feel courageous enough, I want you to go out and uh, I want you to go in over, to the, over the river Jordan and go and possess the land that I've told you to possess. Because if you read verse 11, it says, Within three days Joshua had the people of Israel crossing over the, land, uh, the Jordan to go and possess the land. So God didn't say, hey, you know, this is a hard time. Moses, who's his mentor, his spiritual father, Moses dies. If there was ever a time to be a little discouraged, it was then. That's probably why God spoke to Joshua three times. Only be strong and very courageous as I was with Moses. I'm with you. Because I'm sure Joshua felt depleted of any sign of courage or strength. God didn't say, hey, Joshua, when you feel like you're ready to be strong again, you take your time. You know, you mourn and all that. When you feel good again, then you know what? You get up and uh, we'll work together in your timing. No, we're not working in our timing. We're working in his timing. God's a lot quicker than most people think. That's why he's not saying wait to feel strong. He said, haven't I commanded you, Joshua? The command to be strong and courageous. It's not based on how you feel. It's no matter what I feel, I will be strong. Strength. To be strong is not to necessarily feel or wait till you have feelings of strength come on you where you feel electricity radiating from your body. It literally means to take steps and take action that you would take if you did feel strong and did feel courageous. Courage is not a feeling. Courage is a step that you take. Courage is not a vibe, an energy that comes on you. Courage is a step that you take in obeying God's word, regardless of what you see and how you feel right now. He didn't say, hey, when you feel strong and courageous, it says be strong and courageous. Be it. Fake it till you make it, pretty much. You don't feel strong, that's okay. Be strong. And why can we be strong? Very clearly you see it. In verse 9, be strong and of good courage, for the Lord your God is with you everywhere you go. My confidence, my courage... And the actions I take in life are not based on how I feel. Because if that were the case, I would be an on and off Christian. There'd be days I'd be taking positive steps. And then there'd be days I take negative steps. If I just ran my life and scheduled my life around how I felt, I would be a roller coaster Christian. Be up and down and all around. You don't schedule your life around how you feel. You, you schedule your life around what God's told you to do. 
regardless of how you feel. And you do it because you realize God has given you a promise in his covenant that he'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you, and that he's with you everywhere you go. Moses told God, unless you come with us, I'm not moving an inch from here. And God spoke back, I'm with you, Moses, go, and my presence will be with you, and you'll have rest. And that gave him courage, regardless of how fortified the cities may have been, regardless of Joshua's battles with Jericho and all the other nations he subdued. He didn't care about, he understood, there are more on my side than there is on the opposition side. There are more working for me than there are those working against me. There are more that stand by me, helping me, than there are standing against me, trying to hinder me. Hallelujah. So your courage, the reason why you can be encouraged today, and that the spirit of discouragement can be snapped off your life today, is rooted in three things. God is with you. He promised, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. And God can't lie. Well, I don't feel him. Who cares? You think I woke up this morning feeling God? I don't feel God 24-7. I don't need to feel God 24-7. Do you think I need to be next to my wife 24-7, holding her in my arms for me to know that I love her and she loves me and that we have our best interests in mind? No. She can go. She's, she's out now gallivanting or doing whatever she's doing. I don't even know where she is right now. I don't need to know where she is. I know she's not cheating on me. I know she loves me. She's faithful to me. And... Who knows? She might bring me back a present. I don't know. Because she loves me. In the same vein, I don't have to feel God 24-7 because some people, they have an encounter with God at an altar somewhere and they feel fire and they feel goosebumps and they feel electricity surging through their body and they think life's going to be like that the rest of their life. It's not like that. Nobody lives like that. You would die. You wouldn't be able to bear the burden of that. That's why it's important to constantly carry. And that's why you see in Deuteronomy 6, always have my word on the frontlet of your mind. Always have it before you. Keep it on the doorposts of your home. Always have the fact that God is with me. God is for me and God lives in me ever before you. Because that, that's in essence how David strengthened himself in the Lord. Remember in David's day, his camp had been ransacked. The enemy had come in, burnt up their, their houses, took their children and women captive, kidnapped them all. And they wept until they had no power to weep. And it did nothing, did nothing. David finally realized, man, we've been discouraged, but discouragement cuts us off from solutions from heaven. So the Bible says he encouraged himself in the Lord. And that's another thing. There's not always going to be. Now, I love YouTube because you can now, from this broadcast, if ever you're feeling discouraged in the next six months, you can pop this broadcast back on and encourage yourself. But there are times, 3 a.m., there are times you're on an airplane. You're, I don't know where you're at. Doing your own daily business where you feel discouragement settle in. It's at that time where you might not have pastor on speed dial. You might not have. Uh, maybe there's no Wi-Fi. There's no ability to turn me on on YouTube and help me, help me, uh, or have me help you in encouraging you. What do you do then? You have to learn to encourage yourself in the Lord. At 3 a.m., 
there's not always someone you can just call up. People are sleeping. They don't want to hear your voice. <laughs> and that's the time where you have to learn to encourage yourself in the Lord. And what does it look like? How do you encourage yourself in the Lord? It's simple. We just went through it. Remember where God's called you to go. Remember what God's brought you out of. And remember God's word to you now concerning that specific situation. And then furthermore, always carry in your, your mind. God is with me. God is for me. And God is in me. God is with me. We read that in Joshua 1.9. God is for me. If God be for us, who can be against us? Romans 8.31. The Bible says in uh, sec, it'd be 1 Kings chapter 5. Or 1 Kings chapter 6. When uh, the Israelites were, or sorry, when Eli, Eli, it was 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. Elisha is encamped by an army of Assyrian raiders come sent by the king to kill him. What does he say? There are more for us to his servant. He tells him, there are more for us than there are against us. God is for me. And then three, God is in me. God lives in me. Greater is he that lives in me than he that is in the world. Now, that's the spiritual side of things. I wanted to finish this broadcast in a very unique way. By letting you know practical ways to encourage yourself. Because you know that there's a practical way to encourage yourself. There are little tiny things you can do in your own life that will lead to actual encouragement. Where you won't feel like you're the third guy from the left on the evolution chart. Eat your favorite meal. You know in Acts chapter 27 the Bible says they didn't eat for many days. And when Paul encouraged them to eat... They ate, and the Bible says they were very encouraged. They ate, and they were very encouraged. Acts chapter 27. Sometimes you just need to eat. It's like that uh, Snickers commercial. You know? Sometimes you just need a Snickers. Sometimes you just need a, a Wonder Bar. Sometimes you just need to eat. And I mean eat your favorite meal. I like tomahawk steaks. I love juicy marbled tomahawk steaks and eating that bone, the meat right off the bone so sometimes it, it, you know if I feel like I need to be happier today I'll buy myself a tomahawk steak and cook it on the grill at night that makes me happy makes me very happy matter of fact I'm so happy I might go buy one for tonight drink your favorite drink these are very practical steps some people are like sadists they think that if they just inflict harm on themselves or if they restrict joy and pleasurable things because the bible says do not love the world nor the things of this world you shouldn't get any joy from this world john's not saying don't love a good steak he's saying don't love the system of the world don't love the fallen system of this world he is actually not even talking anything about loving steak or loving coffee or anything like that he's talking about the system don't love the system of sin that's been set up through the fall of man in this world who's uh, king in this wicked system is the devil himself. Don't fall into that. Don't love the world nor the things of this world. The patterns of thinking in this world. But there's nothing wrong with enjoying a good steak. There's nothing wrong with a good... You like a Starbucks drink. Go and get it today. You feel like... Uh, there's little tiny... I'm telling you, it does something for your mood. I have... I enjoy uh, uh, sparkling water with some lime in it. So what do I do? I always make sure that I'm stocked up on sparkling water and I have lime in the fridge and I put lime in it and I drink. That's, 
I enjoy it. I, I make sure I'm always stocked up on it. You know, guilty pleasure. I love ramen noodles. And even though I know the sodium intake on that is like 4,000 milligrams, and you might as well just inject yourself with salt straight into your vein, right into your major artery, just right, because it's just as bad. There are, I don't have it all the time, but there are days I have it, and it, it makes me happy. Structure your life. You know, if you have a, a if you have like a, a, a picture hanging on your bedroom armoire or whatever, and every time you look at it, it's a, a, a person that died in your family and you just never got over it. And every time you look at it, it just, oh, I miss you. I miss you. And it just ruins your day. Consider taking it down. Look, don't mourn like those who have no hope. If they were in Christ, you'll see them again. And if every time you look at I don't have any dead people on my walls at my house. I don't understand why people do that. I, I, I've never understood that. I don't want to look at people that have died and and... Oh, yeah, I missed the good old day. I, I don't do that. They're in heaven now. Praise God. I'm going to see them again. I put things around me that make me think of life. <laughs> Not death. I put things around me that make me think of, of joy, of happiness. I have pictures at my office and back where it's a picture of my wife preaching. That makes me happy. I have a picture of me uh, doing an altar call with uh, like 200 people at the altar. That makes me happy. I have things that remind me of good times in my life. When Dodie Osteen was dying of stage four liver cancer and she was 87 pounds in 1981, she took down every picture in her home, every mirror in her home because she didn't want to see herself emaciated. And she put up pictures of her doing her favorite things, a picture of her riding a horse. So that every time she looked at that, she thought to herself, I'm going to ride a horse again. These are very practical ways you can encourage yourself today. Find out what builds your mood and structure your life so that that thing's a, a part of your life. Obviously, it has to be holy. Don't, I'm not talking about sinful things. Find out what makes you happy and periodically build that into your life. Now, the Bible says he who loves pleasure will not be rich. So you don't obsess with it. You don't just give up on everything because you're just playing tennis all the time now because that makes you happy. No, you have a life. You have responsibilities. But don't feel like you need to withdraw from life's pleasures and that it's wrong to desire pleasure and that it's wrong to desire nice things. Don't feel like you have to like resist. Oh, no, I really, I really shouldn't, uh, you know, I shouldn't have that. I shouldn't watch that comedy, even though it's a clean comedy. I shouldn't watch that comedy, you know. We just got out of church. It's not holy to laugh. Who said it's not holy to laugh? Psalm 126 says, when the Lord brings you to Zion, he's going to make you laugh. Hallelujah. Who says it's not holy to laugh? It's absolutely holy to laugh. Watch a clean comedy tonight. Why do you keep watching the Lifetime Movie Network where every story ends the same time? Main character gets sick and he dies. It sucks. Why keep filling your mind with that? And then, re and then afterwards, you feel like, though, I wonder what will happen to me. I wonder if I'm the major character. I wonder what... You know, watching Hallmark movies where the marriage just doesn't quite work out well. And then that person ends up leaving. 
their wife and then they go and find another person and then that person really brings them great joy and they get married and they're happy. And now, well, my marriage isn't doing too good. Now what happens? Oh man, my husband's going to leave me and he's going to find someone, the woman of his dreams. And You see what you do to yourself? Do you see what you do to yourself? The devil actually just wraps his arms around his, way, uh, his chest and he just, hey, demons, you're off today. Go to Bora, uh, Bora Bora. Take a vacation. This idiot's doing it to himself. I enjoy a good hockey game once in a while. Like to be at the hockey arena. I love the Montreal Canadiens. I'll go to the arena, even though they suck. I'll go and I'll, I'll watch them. I love watching hockey. In the, in the winter when the hockey rinks are up, I make it a point to go and play hockey on the ice rinks outside. And I play with uh, teenagers and young adults that are far more fit than I am. But, you know, I still got it in me. I do it because it makes me happy. Structure your life in a way where it removes any temptation to bring up past hurts, past offense, and past horror stories. And instead, it's conducive to create an atmosphere of joy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And don't feel bad for it. And don't let any religious knucklehead tell you op the opposite. I cut calories this morning so I can eat noodles and listen to TJ. Praise God. I'm going to have me some noodles after. Let me pray for you right now. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I thank you that this broadcast, even now I can sense there's joy in the people watching. And I thank you that this broadcast will be used not only for those watching, but for those that will watch on the replay to break off every spirit of discouragement that spirit of heaviness lifted off their life. And in its stead, Father, I thank you for garments of praise. Thank you, Lord, for filling our mouths with a new song, a song of deliverance and a song of rejoicing. Thank you, Father, that weeping endured for the night, but now by the word of the Lord, joy comes in the morning. I thank you, Father, that the last time there was a Downward extended spiral, uh, extended cycle of discouragement was the last time anyone watching me right now, including myself, ever get discouraged. That from today, I thank you, Lord, not only are we broken free from discouragement, but that we're going to carry the spirit of prophecy to encourage others, edify, exhort, and comfort others that are around us. That our mouths will be like a healing balm hallelujah and a tree of life to those that hear us in jesus mighty name i speak against every spirit of heaviness on anyone's life right now suicidal spirit discouraging spirit despondent spirit you foul thing lift your your hand off that person's mind whom the sun sets free is free indeed and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. I declare release to your captive mind right now. And in its stead, joy, everlasting gladness. In its stead, fullness of joy by the Holy Ghost. The kingdom of heaven is not meat and drink. It's righteousness, peace, and joy. Your mouth shall be filled with laughter. God is going to make you laugh in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, Miss Jessie, could you please pray for a healing? Sure, I'll pray for healing because you know what? You bring up a good point. The Bible says, a merry heart does good like medicine. 
but a broken spirit drieth up the bones. Part of the benefits of encouragement and a merry heart, and this is another effect the enemy wants to have on people when he discourages you is to actually get you sick. Because if you don't cut discouragement out over the years, I mean, it, it, most scientists and most, medical, mo most of the medical community trace major diseases to depression. Major diseases, major sicknesses to depression. But a merry heart does good like medicine. In the name of Jesus Christ, as the Lord's poured out His oil of joy and refreshing in your heart so that you're running over with it, overflowing measure of encouragement that has hit your spirit today. Every sign or symptom of sickness and disease, just like Moses' rod swallowed up the rods of the Egyptian uh, soothsayers, the Word of God, the joy of God swallows up every ounce of sickness, disease, pain, symptoms in your body right now. I declare your body healthy, whole, and restored to full health. I speak a clean bill of health in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, be healed in your body. Sickness gone and health and healing springs forth out of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji, or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.